And if you're going to win souls, you've got to love souls. In spite of their meanness, in spite of the way they look, in spite of everything, you've got to seek to bring souls to Jesus Christ because you love them, because Jesus loved them, and because Jesus died for them, and you're trying to bring them to the Son of God. Good morning. Welcome to Sandy Creek Stirrings on this Tuesday, an apologetics episode, learning how to defend our faith. And so this morning, we've got a lot to dive into, so I'm going to skip a lot of the preliminaries about going to the website, sending in a question, things of that sort, and we're going to skip the preliminaries and jump right into our lesson today. So strap on your seatbelt because we are about to fly. Every unsaved man knows at least two passages in the Bible. Matthew chapter 7, judge not. Everybody knows that, don't they? How many times have you heard that? You're like, you don't even go to church. You don't even read your Bible. But you know Matthew chapter 7, judge not. Typically, they even know the reference of where it's found. Everybody knows, judge not. Everybody knows pretty much how to use it out of context. But every, every unsaved man pretty much knows, judge not. And then another passage they always know is John chapter 2, where Jesus turns water into wine. You see, so many times we'll be talking about how Christians should not partake of alcohol, but almost every unsaved person can bring up, well, you know, Jesus. He turned water into wine, so Jesus is obviously okay with alcohol. It is the most, by far, the most used passage to try and justify alcohol in the life of a Christian. When we were in Canada in language school learning, I, I got into a talk with a young man and uh, hadn't been in church. I mean, this was just way off the wall. And we got talking about drinking and uh, he talked about drinking and he said, you know, Jesus, you know, he was a Christian and he turned water into wine. And uh, hey, you hear it all the time. The question we come to today, though, is the one that I want to pose to you. Is it okay for Christians to drink alcohol? Is it okay for Christians to drink liquor? Is drinking, as in the alcoholic sense, is drinking okay for the Christian? That's a big question. A question a lot of people struggle with. Let's dive into that today. I want to start off by talking about the word wine in the Bible. The word wine in the Bible. Um, from my study and typing in some search engines and things of that sort, the word wine is mentioned 212 times between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 212 times. So it's in there a fair amount of times. And in fact, the very first mention of the word wine is the story of Noah's shame. In Genesis 9, where we read how Noah became drunk with wine shortly after that, uh, of course, his son saw the, the nakedness of his father, and we don't have time to go into that story today, but that's the first reading we have of wine. Not very good story. Shortly after that, Genesis 19, we find Lot. Remember, Sodom and Gomorrah has been destroyed. Lot is in a cave with his two daughters. They come up with a despicable thing to do. They get him drunk, and they have a relations with him, as how I'll put it for this morning, and to continue his name. They get drunk, and they, they have intercourse with him. I mean, terrible, terrible story. All had to deal with wine in those two short passages. And then as you continue through the Old Testament, you'll find that God has laws concerning wine in the books of law, and it's mentioned continuously throughout the Old Testament. Eventually, if you're reading from Genesis to Revelation, you'll come across Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 1, and that's really where I want to jump off today, because it's a critical piece of knowledge concerning Christians and their use of alcohol. 
So I want to read that verse to you this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, in verse number 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. God here in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, he's establishing a little bit of wisdom for his children concerning alcohol. He starts off by saying, wine is a mocker. Interesting enough, when you look at the story of Noah's shame in Genesis 9, where he's drunk, you'll find Ham sees his father's nakedness, goes and tells his two brothers. You'll see from the response of his brothers and then eventually Noah, it was clear he was mocking his father. He was scorning him. True story. Wine is a mocker. The Bible continues, strong drink is raging. By God connecting these two passages together, these two phrases together, God is identifying exactly what kind of wine he's talking about. He's talking about strong wine. He's talking about strong wine. He says that not only is it a mocker, but it is raging. It means to be enraged, to be an uproar, to be troubling. I don't know about you, but the story of Lot and his two daughters, yeah, that's pretty troubling. It's pretty outrageous. Yeah, I would say that is very accurate. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. And then it goes... And whosoever, that means anybody, is deceived thereby is not wise. The word deceived here, when you study when you study it out, for what it actually means, you study out this word, its definitions, the word literally means to be tricked, to be intoxicated. That's what it means. It means to be tricked, to be intoxicated. So to summarize, all right, let's summarize this verse very very quickly, wine, strong wine, when you are deceived into partaking of it and become intoxicated by it, the Bible says you are not wise. Let me ask you a question. Does God want you to be wise or would he rather you be a, well, the other options are fool, a scorner? Which one does God want you to be? God wants you to be wise, folks. God wants you to be wise. And so if you hear what we're going to talk about today and you do the opposite, God says, not me, God says you would be a fool. God wants you to be wise. And here God is making the principle that partaking of wine, strong wine specifically, which was referring to alcoholic wine, and we're about to get into this, that it's wrong. It's clearly, in this passage, painted in a bad light. In fact, God goes so far to say, if you are deceived, if you're tricked thereby, you are not wise. I think for most people, there's your answer right there. Should Christians partake of alcohol? I think we already answered it, but for some, that's simply not going to be enough. So we are going to dive into it a little bit deeper. Now, there are immediately going to be some questions asked for that very simple argument, and I want to answer those as they come to mind. The very first question, most people are going to say, well, wait a second. Wine, didn't Jesus make wine? John chapter 2, didn't Jesus make wine? And so let me answer that question. Yes, he did. He made the word wine wine. But, let me be very careful to say, not like the wine we think of today. When going and looking at the word wine in the Bible, you have to be very careful. For our English, for our one English word, the word wine, there are several different Hebrew and Greek words. Of course, um, Old Testament written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. For our one word, our one English word, wine, there were several different Hebrew words, a couple different Greek words for the word wine. 
And the Bible simply implies by context what the form of the word is taking on. For instance, when you look in the Bible, when you're looking in the Bible, simply put, the word wine can mean a couple different things. It can mean juice. It can simply mean unfermented just juice, just fruit of the vine juice. And sometimes it can mean alcoholic wine. Now, there will be some who say, no, 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 Josh, wine means wine. If it was juice, God would have just put in there juice, but it says wine for a reason. And so I have two answers for that. Number one, did you know that according to the online portal of Oxford University's English language, that the word juice, as we know it today, wasn't a word used by the common people until the 1700s? That means that our English Bible, by the way, was completed before that date, which means if the translators were making the Bible easy for the common people to understand, which they were, if they were making it easy for the common people to understand, they wouldn't have used the word juice because it wasn't commonly used by people. The common word used by the common people was wine. That's simply what they called juice back then. Now, I know some of you are going to have a hard time understanding that, but back then, whether it was juice, unfermented juice, or alcoholic wine, you would use the word wine either way. You would derive by context by the way the word was used to determine what they were talking about. For instance, let's say we lived back then, and I, you and I were talking, and I said, you know, today when my daughter woke up, I let's say we're living back in that time, okay? When my daughter woke up this morning, I, I put some wine in her cup. Well, deriving by context back then, you would automatically know, I didn't put alcoholic wine in my two-year-old's cup. I put juice. It's very obvious, very easy to understand. All right? So there's the first answer. And for those who say, well, no, wine means wine. If it was juice, it would have said juice. There's a second answer. If that's the case, you tell me, what is God saying in Isaiah 65 and verse number 8? The Bible says, thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster. As the new wine is found in the cluster. God is saying you can find wine in the cluster. In a cluster of grapes, you can find wine. Let me ask you a question. If you pop a grape, do you get wine? If you take your, your two fingers and you squeeze the grape, is what comes out wine? No, it's grape juice. It's a clear reference that to juice, which means the word wine, okay, can be taken in the Bible. It can be taken as an unfermented drink or a fermented drink. And so when we come to this argument of did Jesus make wine, it's very important you understand wine doesn't always mean what we would think of in today's modern world within the Bible. It's not always referring to an alcoholic drink. Many times it's referring to simply juice and typically grape juice. So we have to be very careful when we come to a passage to make sure if the Bible is referencing fermented wine, which is alcohol, which is liquor, or unfermented wine, which we would just simply call juice in today's modern world in common English. In the story of Jesus turning water into wine, we have to go back and take the whole thing into context. Okay, Jesus is at a wedding. The Bible says by implication, when the ruler of the feast gives his speech, you remember the ruler of the feast, they serve him the wine that Jesus has made, and he stops and he gives a speech, and he says that typically in these weddings, when everybody has well drunk, they serve the worst wine, the wine that's not as good, the wine that doesn't taste as good. So by implication, he's saying that the people there at the wedding, they've already well drunk, meaning they've already drank a lot. 
It's not saying that they're drunk, as in the sense we're, think, we're thinking, like they're falling around in a stupor. It just means that they have drank a lot of wine in the Bible. Okay? Let me ask you a question, and let's just start here. If this was alcoholic wine they were drinking at this wedding, and they've already, quote, well drunk, what happens when somebody drinks a lot of alcohol? They become very drunk, right? They become very intoxicated. They begin to slur their speech. They can't walk in a straight line. The breathalyzer goes ding, ding. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen when somebody drinks a lot of liquor. They are now drunk if it's alcoholic, right? So let's get the sense. They're at this wedding. People have already, according to the ruler of the feast, they've already well drunk. They've drank a lot. Now, you have to be very careful. Are they drinking something alcoholic or something non-alcoholic? Well, let's go into the rest of the story, and I believe God will define that for us. Jesus goes on to do the miracle. They have no wine. So Jesus asked them to fill up six water pots that were used for purification. They would hold two um, two to three firkins apiece. It simply means that between the six pots Jesus made, turned the water in the six pots to wine, he would have made somewhere between 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Now, for anybody who knows anything about liquids, that is a lot of wine. That's a lot of anything. That's a lot of water. 120 to 180 gallons of wine. That is a lot of wine. Let me ask you this. The people who have already, quote, well drunk, they're coming to the end of the feast. Here's the question I have for you. Did Jesus aid them in helping to become even more drunk by supplying an enormous amount of wine? Did he do that? The answer is no, and here's the reason why. By giving this group 180 gallons of wine, he would have helped them to become even more intoxicated. If, if we're saying that this is alcohol, he would have helped them to become even more intoxicated, which would have, which would have made him helping people to become unwise, according to Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1. Is Jesus going to help people become unwise? Absolutely not. Not only that, but he would be violating himself. According to John chapter 1, Jesus is the Word of God. Right? According to John chapter 1, Jesus is the Word of God. He would be contradicting, he'd be violating himself. For he says in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him, and maketh, makest him drunken also. If Jesus made 180 gallons of alcoholic wine and gave it to them, wouldn't he be helping to make them drunk also? God says, woe to that person. Woe. Be very careful. Judgment is coming. Therefore, I submit to you, by those two answers alone, Jesus didn't make alcoholic wine. He simply made juice. He simply made fruit of the vine. He made, simply put, he made grape juice. Jesus didn't make alcoholic wine because he would be violating two passages of Scripture, and Jesus will not contradict himself. He simply made them more, ju more juice. He made them something to drink other than the typical water, which was the only other thing they really had. And at a wedding, let's be honest, who really wants water? Who really wants water? So in answer to that question, did Jesus make wine? Well, we have to understand the history. We have to understand the history. We have to understand the story. Let's talk about this for a second. Wine back in those days, by the way, was very different as a whole. History tells us that most commonly, wine, fresh juice, it was boiled down to a syrup and stored in bottles. If you go back and read um, statements from Aristotle, 
If you go back and read statements from Horace, if you go back and read um, statements from Homer, they all talked about this, this grape juice that was boiled down into a syrup to be stored. It was then squeezed out, and it was typically mixed with water for drinking purposes. Professor Samuel Lee of Cambridge University confirms this. He says that yayin, Y-A-Y-I-N, it's the Hebrew word for wine, or oinos, O-I-N-O-S, which is the Greek word for wine, they do not refer only to intoxicating liquor made by fermentation, but both words, both words refer to a thick and unintoxicating, Notice, thick, unintoxicating syrup or paste produced by boiling to make it storable. And this isn't just Bible history, this is world history. Plutarch, I think that's how you pronounce his name, I don't know, in his symposiac said as a beverage that it was always thought of as a mixed drink. He said, quote, we call it a mixture wine, although the larger of the components is water. The ratio of water might vary, but only barbarians drink it unmixed, and a mixture of wine and water of equal parts was seen as a strong drink and frowned upon. The Greeks, by the way, wrote of those who drank undiluted wine as barbarians. So they would take the syrup and they would mix it typically three to one part. So three parts water, one part of the syrup. More commonly was four to one. And this would put the alcohol content, by the way, the alcohol content of that particular what we call wine in the Bible, it put the alcohol content at around 2% or less. All right, in, in Proverbs chapter 9 to verse 5, you'll even find the allegorical lady wisdom. In Proverbs 9, 5, she takes this example, she mixes her wine. She doesn't drink it straight up. She mixes it. Puts the alcohol content at less than 2% typically. Homer's Odyssey refers to mixtures, by the way, as high as 20 to 1. 20 parts water, 1 part fermented juice. You say, why? Well, it was used to kill the bacteria in the water with the acid of the juice. Oregon State University discovered that wine inactivated or killed pathogens, by the way, such as E. coli, salmonella, staph that we know from hospital staff, you know, staph infections. This wine would completely kill these bacterias, by the way, these pathogens, within 30 to 60 minutes. Just by adding it into the water, it was a form of purification. If you know anything about Israel, they didn't have very pure water back then, so they would have to purify it. One of the ways was by adding this syrup to the water to kill bad things, bad bacteria, in the water. So it's clear that even when talking about wine in the Bible... We aren't talking about the same thing as the modern-day alcohol wine we know it as today. So to answer your question, did Jesus make wine? Yes, but in the way that most people are thinking? No, he did not. He did not. So a second question often pops up um, after you talk about did Jesus make wine, and they say, well, did Jesus make wine? The second question that will typically pop up, well, isn't, isn't it just getting drunk is wrong? Isn't alcohol wrong if it's only in excess? Well, let's go back to that passage in Proverbs 20 and verse number 1. It says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Now remember, we talked about the word deceive simply means to both trick and to, or to, intoxicate. If it intoxicates you, by this verse, if it intoxicates you, it is not right if it intoxicates you. Now you may say, great. Great. So if it has an alcoholic content, it's fine. And in essence, you might be right. Alcohol content doesn't necessarily make something wrong in a sense. 
Let me put it to you this way. For instance, soy sauce has an alcohol content of 2%. Soy sauce does. If you remember from earlier, the typical wine drink of the Bible had around a 2% alcohol content when mixed with water, as was the standard according to not only biblical history, but secular history as well. Um, standard, organic, natural, 100% grape juice, the kind you buy, like Welch's, has an alcohol content of typically 1%. White vinegar, it can have an alcohol content content anywhere from uh, 0.5% to, to 2%. But you clearly understand by those examples, you're not going to get drunk from drinking 100% grape juice. You'd have a lot of stomach problems. I mean, you'd be going, going, going. Um not trying to be crude or anything, but um, I mean, you're not going to get drunk from drinking soy sauce. You'd probably die from a sodium overdose first. The key isn't necessarily alcohol content, though it does play a part. The key is, is this intoxicating? Does it, will it intoxicate me if I drink it? If it does, the Bible says that it is not right, it is not wise to do so, to take part of that intoxicating drink, would make you a fool. It would make you a fool. Ephesians 5.18 says, be not drunk with wine. It's a clear command. Be not drunk with wine. Now you may say, great, I am a social drinker, I only drink every once in a while, and I never get drunk, I must be okay. Well, guess again. What does the Bible mean by the word drunk? Well, the, big, the biblical definition for drunk is intoxicated. If you go back to the Webster's 1828 Dictionary, the word intoxicated means to inebriate. Inebriate, and that's another big word, so we're going to go to the definition, turn to what's inebriate mean. It means to disorder, to dull the senses. You know what the Bible meant by drunk? It didn't mean throwing up in the toilet. It didn't mean to have a hangover. It didn't mean not being able to walk the line. It didn't mean to um, have have an alcohol content where it measures on a breathalyzer. It didn't mean any of that. It simply means that if it disorders or even slightly dulls your senses, you've become intoxicated by it, and it is not right. If it begins, let me say that again, if it begins to even slightly dull the senses, it has intoxicated you. You say, great, I only ever have one drink, so I must be okay. Well, not according to the studies done by the researchers at San Diego State University. You see, the researchers said this in their report. I quote from their findings. The researchers say that their findings suggest that even a single alcoholic drink can impair our ability to make decisions, though sometimes we may not be aware of it. Yeah, a small amount of research, by the way, will show how even one drink, even one drink can affect your reaction times, it can uh, um, affect your decision makings, and so much more. And you say, well, it doesn't do it very much, but does it do it? The answer, even scientifically, is yes. So according to the Bible definition, does alcohol even slightly dull your senses after one drink? The answer is yes. So that means not even one drink is okay with God. Do you understand what that means? If it can even slightly dull your senses, it is not okay with God. It's not okay. So no, even 
just getting drunk in the sense that people are asking. They're saying, well, isn't it just wrong just to get drunk? Well, they're thinking about people falling over on the sidewalk or sleeping on somebody's couch and they don't even know how they got there. No, that's not what the biblical definition of drunk is. It means if you even have your senses slightly dulled, it's not right. Here's another question that people will ask. Well, didn't Paul tell Timothy to, quote, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake? Didn't Paul encourage Timothy to drink wine? Well, you'll find that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 23, but here's something interesting. Paul was talking to Timothy about pastoring, Timothy pastoring at this time, and pastors, according to 1 Timothy, just two chapters before in chapter 3, they should not be given to wine, meaning they should not partake of it, they shouldn't have it. All right. Not only that, but according to Proverbs 20, as we've talked about, it would be unwise. So he already said pastors should not partake of wine. So what is Paul saying? Wouldn't he be contradicting himself? Well, it's simple. I'll put it to you this way. Paul was simply saying, take a little grape juice for thy stomach's sake. You say that makes no sense. Well, here's this. According to the Mayo Clinic, grape juice is good for reducing the risk of blood clots, reducing low-density lipoprotein, I guess that's how you pronounce it, cholesterol, preventing damage to the blood vessels in your heart, helping maintain a healthy blood pressure. Grapes are also rich in health-protecting antioxidants. Drinking one glass a day of grape juice, according to Georgetown University, grape juice can lower the risk of developing the blood clots that lead to heart, heart attacks. Drinking one glass of grape juice, unfermented grape juice, 100% natural, um, pure grape juice, 100%, according to Men's Health, if you drink one glass a day, it says this, quote, grape juice can alter the pH levels in your stomach and prevent the norovirus, which is simply the stomach flu, can prevent the norovirus from multiplying. Plus, thanks to the juice's antiviral and antioxidant properties, it might even flush, fight, or kill the virus. So yes, God in his wisdom was saying through Paul to Timothy that pure 100% grape juice is good for you and it's good for your stomach. So in these three simple questions and what we've already looked at in the history and everything about alcohol, it's very clear what the Bible says about alcohol. To take part in it, the Bible says, is unwise. Now, here's what I want you to do, and and I want you to understand where I'm going with this. Take the Bible for a second and set it aside. Let's look at this argument just logically and factually for a second. Put the Bible aside for a second. Let's just look at it logically and factually. Is it wise in a general sense for even a human just to partake of alcohol? All right, now for a Christian, we believe that our body is the temple of the Lord, according to the Bible. The Bible says that our body is the temple of God. We are supposed to take care of it. We're supposed to maintain it. So in a general sense, is it right for even just normal human beings? Is it right for them to partake of alcohol? Is it wise? Let me give you some things. The CDC says that alcohol can have these short-term effects. These are short-term effects, by the way. Injuries such as motor vehicle crashes, falls, drownings, and burns. And we'll talk about motor vehicle crashes in just a second. Short-term effects such as violence, including homicide, suicide, sexual assault, and intimate partner violence. In regards to motor vehicle crashes, every day 29 people in the United States die in motor vehicle crashes that involve an alcohol-impaired driver. This is one death every 50 minutes. The annual cost of alcohol-related crashes total more than $44 billion a year in the United States. That doesn't sound very wise, all because of the effects of alcohol. By the way, alcohol also has 
these long-term effects on your body, high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke, liver disease, digestive problem, problems, cancer of the breast, cancer of the mouth, cancer of the throat, cancer of the esophagus, cancer of the liver, cancer of the colon, weakening, weakening of the immune system, increasing the chances of getting sick, learning and memory problems, including dementia and poor school performance, mental health problems, including depression and anxiety, social problems, including loss of productivity, family problems and unemployment, alcohol use disorders and alcohol dependence. Yeah, look, that's not my opinion. That's what the Center for Disease Control says, and it's crazy that the Center, listen to me, for Disease Control has to talk about alcohol. According to WebMD, the all-knowing website for sickness, all of you, whenever you feel even the slightest temperature, you jump on WebMD and you punch in all your sicknesses and you find out that you're going to die in the next 30 minutes. That's what WebMD does. WebMD, according to, according to them, alcohol has these effects of your, on your body. Liver damage, heart disease, brain and nervous system problems, anemia, cancer, seizures, gout, infections, digestive problems, and more. According to Yahoo Health, your body naturally responds and reacts to alcohol as poison. Did you hear that? Your body naturally responds and reacts to alcohol as poison. As soon as it enters your stomach, your body, your body immediately does everything it can to break down and get rid of the poison. So as a human, take, put the Bible aside for a second. As a human, is it wise for humans in general to take part in alcohol? The answer is no. If you were just listening, the answer is absolutely 100% of the time, no. Stay away from it. Stay away from it. You say, well, I don't believe all that. I can show you the numerous instances of people who died from cirrhosis of the liver. I can show you numerous instances where people died with a heart attack and they could trace it back to alcohol. I can show you numerous incidents where people lost their families because of alcohol. I can show you numerous incidents where people lost their jobs because of alcohol. I can show you numerous incidences of family problems because of alcohol. I can show you numerous incidences of people who who lost their minds, basically, because of alcohol. You can say that it's not true all day long, but the reality is, you're the one who's wrong. Alcohol, even on just a logical and factual sense, is not wise for just the general human being to take part in, much less, though, a Christian who is trying to care for their body as the temple of God. So, biblically, is alcohol wrong? Let me remind you, Proverbs 20 and verse 1, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. So yeah, biblically, alcohol is wrong. Logically, just logically in your head, making sense of it. Is alcohol wrong? Yeah, it's wrong. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Because you're putting way too much at risk for the sake of alcohol. By the way, every, every, Every drunk starts with one sip of alcohol. So logically, no, it's not even, alcohol is not right. Factually, from the facts we have just from quote-unquote science, yeah, alcohol is not right either. So both biblically, or all three, biblically, logically, factually, it's not right for anybody to partake of alcohol. The answer the Christian in alcohol? Well, simply put, the Christian should have nothing to do with it.
nothing to do with it. Yeah, alcohol and the Christian. Stay away from it. Be very careful. God has a lot to say. And by the way, that was just scraping the very top of the surface of alcohol and the Christian. We could have dived into so much more today. But unfortunately for today, that's all the time we have. So, until next time, my friend, keep looking up and keep stirred up for the cause of Christ.